Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. We're happy to have you back with us. Took last week off just as life does getting in the way, but may try to make up for it this week. May do a double shot here, one with Andrew, maybe one with Austin, depending on how the week comes together. It is Super Bowl week, so of course we have to talk about the biggest game in American sports, and we're probably going to go a little bit short on that. We'll explain why in a minute, and then we're really going to catch up on basketball. We haven't talked a lot of NBA and college basketball for quite a while. Now that we're into February, it is going to be full speed ahead through March Madness. we got the NBA All-Star Game coming up, so basketball really taking shape for both of those sports, and we'll have a lot more of that as football comes to a close. But before we get to basketball... Our obligatory talk on the Super Bowl, and Andrew and I both kind of talked about this off air. We're just kind of meh about the Super Bowl this year. I, for me, I'm just kind of sick of the Chiefs. I'm a little bit tired of both of these teams, but especially the Chiefs. And when you had, especially the Lions, right there on the precipice of getting in, or the Ravens, or the Bills, I was excited for a lot more matchups. I'm just, I'm just meh about this game. Yeah, there's a lot to be mad about. I mean, I guess I I hope the Chiefs win. Um, I'm I'm kind of mad about it for uh, Brock Purdy reasons. You know, I'm not really a a big believer in Brock Purdy, and and I think there's good reason for that. But he's gotten a lot of love over the over the past few weeks, and uh, I just you know I I think he's getting a little bit more credit than what he deserves for this Niners run. Um, so that's that's my angle that I'm coming at with it for this year's Super Bowl. So I'd, I'd like to see the Chiefs win, I guess, but I don't really want to see all the all the uh, the nonsense surrounding the Chiefs to Travis Kelsey specifically. So you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of out for those reasons. So hopefully next year we can find a better matchup. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wouldn't bet against Mahomes in this scenario. I I will be cheering for the Niners because of my beloved Brock Purdy and just fatigue over, as you mentioned, Kelsey and the Chiefs and everything that goes with them. Just overexposed. I can't miss you if you won't go away. And this is the Chiefs' fourth Super Bowl in five years. They are 2-1, and one, basically the team of the 2020s, if you want to think of it that way, even though the first one was technically the 2019 season, but they've been the team of the decade so far. And this is a rematch of the Super Bowl from February 2nd, 2020. That 2019 season, the Chiefs came out ahead 31 to 20. And I know that five seasons is an eternity in the NFL, but there's so few guys around both of these teams. I looked this up a couple weeks ago once we first had the matchup, and it was like Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and one other guy are the only ones coming back for the Chiefs. And then on the Niners, it's only like Drake Greenlaw, Fred Warner, uh, Maybe, I think, Kittle. And it's just shocking to me how many guys change over, even though it feels like we see these teams over and over and over. The actual people wearing those helmets changes so frequently. Yeah, coaches um, are the same, though. The head coaches specifically, Shanahan and Reed going at it again. Um, I believe Debo might have been a part of that first run. Was he actually not a part of that first run? I have to find where I wrote this up. It was, I think it was Debo, or it may have been Ayuk actually may have been there, and Debo wasn't. I'll... I'll talk over as I try to dig up where I wrote that down. All I all I remember is uh, Raheem Mostert being a huge part of uh, the Niners run, I believe. I believe that Raheem Mostert ran through everybody in 2019 as 
behind that Niners offensive line and running game. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of reason to back the Chiefs in this one, and I know a lot of people are doing that, so it's a popular thing to back the Chiefs in this one. Um, I just think Steve Spagnuolo and that defense are going to have uh, Brock Purdy having a tough time, and I mean, he has played four top ten defenses this year. I heard this on the Ringer Gambling Show. I was listening to this before we got on here. Um, so credit to Warren Sharp that did some research here. But against top ten defenses this year for Brock Purdy, I think he has a one and three record, five touchdowns against eight interceptions, and he's like thirty first in a lot of stats, or twenty eighth or lower in a lot of passing stats against top ten passing defenses, of which the Chiefs are one. So um if you're back on the Niners, you're really backing Christian McCaffrey there um and the Chiefs succeed against outside zone which is what the Niners like to run for their run plays as well I know the Chiefs run defense is a little bit susceptible but I feel like you combo some of those stats with the fact that Mahomes is going to you feel like he's just gonna at this point he's just gonna get it done on the biggest stage it's kind of becoming like the Patriots and Brady you kind of just feel like somehow Mahomes is going to find a way. And yeah, that's just, that's just how I feel about this one. Mahomes will find a way. Kelsey will find a way. I Yeah. I think Kelsey's going to eat. He's going to get his, it astounds me watching a team as good as the Ravens when they just didn't cover him and let him just get wide open in the middle of the field. I didn't understand what the Ravens were doing there. I think the Niners have the defensive talent to take away the pieces. And my my hope and my pick is that it looks a little bit like what the Buccaneers did. Granted, Kansas City's offensive line is much better, but we remember how good that Tampa Bay defense was, and they were in Patrick Mahomes' face. I think the Niners' defense is better when you've got Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and Chase Young and Javon Hargrave. I think they're going to make life miserable for Patrick Mahomes. I don't think it's going to be a 31 to 9 blowout type game, but I think it's going it's going to be higher scoring, but I'm going to go with the Niners here cuz that defense is going to be all over Mahomes, take away all the other options. Kelsey's going to get some, but I don't think it's going to be enough and then the Niners have so much talent that they're going to break loose between Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and CMC and Purdy. Those guys, they're going to find ways to get points on the board. Um if uh yeah if the Chiefs can manage to catch some of those pretty interceptions, which he's had amazing luck at all of the defenders dropping, if the Chiefs can find their way into getting some of those interceptions that should be, um, I, I think the Chiefs will be all right in this one. Nobody remembers Otto Graham almost throwing interceptions. They just remember the eight NFL titles he won. That's true. That's true. But um, hopefully we will see uh, – few Legereus need, you know, some interceptions. Some interceptions from the Chiefs defense are definitely coming our way on Super Bowl Sunday. So if my research from a couple weeks ago was correct, Kittle, Debo, Greenlaw, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, and Juszczyk were all on that Niners team last time they played. Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, Harrison Butker, the kicker, McCole Hardman, Derek Nottie, and then a couple other people that are not pretty well-known names would were all on that roster. So the Chiefs bring back wow. a few more guys, but it's still out of a 
53 man, what 104 man rostered, you know, 106 guys, maybe 12 of them played in this game the first time around. Wow. That's, that's kind of crazy how things have changed so, so fast. Um, anyways, I think we both know which way we're both leaning. You got anything more to say about this game? Uh, go Niners like 30, 27. Yeah. I think I'll go Chiefs something like 34 to 13. I think it's going to be quite, quite the drubbing. I think Mahomes is going to really excel and. I, I think the Niners offense is going to really struggle to do much of anything. I think Spagnolo doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Uh, Brock Purdy drops to 0-4 in Super Bowl games for him personally. The first three being against Iowa. Wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. So the what, what was your point prediction? 34-13? 34-13. The over-under I'm seeing on CBS is 47 and a half. That'd be right at it. Perfect. <laughs> I didn't know that when I made my prediction. I'll have you know. San Francisco is two-point favorite, at least on CBS. Hmm. Back Mahomes is a dog. I Wait. think there's a lot of a. I think there's a lot of evidence. I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that Mahomes in the playoffs as a dog um, might be undefeated. Might be. If I was interested in the Super Bowl, I would have researched that more. Yeah, I, I should have researched that more. Uh, do your own research before you put any money down, but I think Mahomes as an underdog is one of the best plays you can make. Which, uh, random question I don't think I've ever asked you. I was thinking about this. So the game will be on CBS, which means we get Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Of the big four broadcasters their main nfl crew who's your favorite so cbs you have nance and tony romo abc slash espn is joe buck troy aikman uh fox is kevin burkhardt and greg olson for now until tom brady comes in next year and then nbc is it tarico and collinsworth is that the top one yeah Mm -hmm. and then amazon prime it's uh al and kirk herbstreet do you want to throw that one in there I do not. Okay. That's five <laughs> out of five. As I have never watched a game on Amazon Prime. All right. Well, we can just agree then that that's fifth. Um, and uh, I'm not a fan of Buck and Aikman. I would say probably Jim Nance and Tony Romo. It's my favorite. I think the only other – I really do like Greg Olson, though. I really do think that they need to keep Greg Olson on the A-team for Fox and let Tom Brady earn it. Tom Brady can start off B squad on Fox. I know that's not what they're going to do, but um, so I think for me personally, it goes Nance Romo, number one, Burkhart Olsen, mainly because I like Kevin Olsen, Trico Collinsworth, Buck Aikman for me. And I, I like Fox, but for a different reason, I love Kevin Burkhart. He is my favorite play-by-play guy. Romo as a color. Romo's my favorite color guy, but I like Burkhart as the play-by-play. So I'm I'm kind of a I think I give a slight edge to Fox because of Kevin Burkhart. Greg Olson, he, take it or leave it for me. There's times where I wish he'd be a little bit more. He he really has a hard time criticizing guys. I feel like he tries really hard to not 
know, it's, it's the NFL brotherhood, their fraternity. He really doesn't want to critique guys. So he'll try to really butter it up and then talk about how they got beat. Or I feel like Romo's a little bit more just tells you what happened, but uh, yeah. I, I think Fox is one for me. CBS is two. I don't really have a problem with Tariko and Collinsworth. They just don't do anything to pop. It's just, it's there. They're consistent. They do a good job, but nothing that wows me. And then I like Joe Buck doing baseball. It's just something about he and Aikman together. I just can't listen to as much on NFL games. Do you think the NFL told Tony Romo to stop predicting plays? You remember when Tony Romo would do that all the time? Yeah, it was what made, it's what made me first like him. And that, that's what I want out of my color guys. And somebody told them to stop it, whether or not it was the NFL or CBS or what. But that that's what yeah. made me enjoy they should, they should tell him to start up. They should tell him to start up again. A Tony Romo, the commentator, I like so much more than Tony Romo, the player. Yeah, actually. I mean, I didn't mind Tony Romo, the player. He was always busy losing to the Packers, just like every other Dallas Cowboy has since they won that Super Bowl in the 90s. So I guess I don't mind Tony Romo or Dak Prescott. But, yeah, um, who's your who's your top team? Are you Nansen Romo as well? I'm I'm going Burkhardt and Olsen just because just because of Kevin Burkhart. I just yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with Brady. And you know they test these guys and they do screen tests, but once they're live doing a full season, we have no idea how good Brady's actually going to be. He's just going to be in there because he's Tom Brady. Yeah, we could have we could see a scenario where he's just a terrible commentator. I mean, there's I there's, mean there's plenty of guys like that who have flamed out over the years, like Jerry Rice and Emmett Smith and Dan Marino, and those guys all have been various talking heads, and they don't stick around because they're just they're better at the playing than they are the talking. Right, or they belong on like a pre-game, post-game show, and not in a in a booth calling the game. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, the other thing, I, I guess, I am looking forward to halftime. I am a huge fan of Usher, so I think halftime will be great for me at least. Yeah, I usually, I mean, I don't care about the pregame. I don't care about the commercials and I genuinely don't care about the halftime show. I won't really watch. I'll be doing something with it on in the background, but yeah, I do like Usher. Very random pull. It feels like for them to kind of, he should have been the 2003 Super Bowl show, not 2020. Oh, for sure. But it, it, a, a fun throwback. What I want is all four guys to come out for. Yeah. I love when they have the guests for the Super Bowl halftime. So I need Ludacris and Lil John and Usher. Oh yeah, we're getting that. That's happening for sure. Little John and uh, Ludacris, it's it's happening. No, it it'll be more fun. Probably one of the ones I'm more excited about than in recent years. All right, let's move on to some basketball. I, I've had enough football talk for <laughs> for now. Go Niners! We'll break all that down next week. Uh, starting off here with the NBA and looking at the Eastern Conference again, uh, Andrew watches far more of this than I do. I just kind of read the headlines and now as football is done, I've started to watch more and more. Uh, I'm just going to relish that my beloved Cavaliers are hanging in here. They were supposed to be falling apart and they were going to be sellers. And as we're recording this, winners of six in a row, nine and one, second in the East behind Boston. It feels like everybody else is doing their best to fall behind Boston. Milwaukee fires their coach and hasn't been right since. Philadelphia, uh, we'll get to Mr. Embiid here in a minute. The luster seems to be shining off the Pacers. Uh, right now, this is Boston's conference to lose, but watch out for my beloved Cavs. They are your beloved Cavs. I still think it's a Bucks celtics race 
here. Donovan Mitchell has been playing a lot better. Um, he's going to need to have, I mean, with Embiid going down, I guess we have to talk about that because that's such a huge part of the Eastern Conference equation and also the MVP equation, right? Because it, Joel Embiid was heavily in the conversation for MVP before he went down. Now he's obviously out of it. Um, and it looks like Jokic is maybe the front runner. Um, but I could see a guy like Donovan Mitchell kind of sneaking in there, just given the way the Cavs have played recently. Uh, he's just going to have to have a really excellent back half of the season. He's going to have to keep up what he's been doing the last nine or ten games over the second half of the season. He's capable of it. Um, I still think the Cavs aren't quite there with this core. I don't think the Garland Mitchell... Um, Mobley, Allen thing quite works. So they're going to have to do something with that, but they probably won't do it at the trade deadline, which is actually coming up tomorrow. We might see some trade deadline movement. So I don't think they're going to be sellers at this trade deadline, but I could see some things. We'll see how the, how the playoffs go, but I could see it being a very interesting off season for, for them. But I think this is really a Celtics. Bucks race and the Celtics thing, it really hinges on Porzingis uh, because they look like a different team without Porzingis, not quite as good. And that's a huge part of the equation for them, for them. And we don't know if Porzingis can make it through, you know, a, a two month long NBA playoff. Basically he's been very injury prone. So I think the Eastern conference is, it could shift again like 10 more times between now and the end of the season. Well, we know Detroit is not going anywhere. Six and 43. So they're, uh, are trying to win that lottery. Washington's out. Charlotte's out. Uh, I don't think we've talked real much basketball since Toronto had their trades. And then the nets, I don't, you know, the teams who are bad, who are bad. The teams who are in the middle are in the middle. And it feels like that top six is going to pull away from the pack. Uh, what what happened to my magic here? We were all excited when they were like a top three, and now they're hovering around five hundred down at that eight spot. Yeah, they're um, they have struggles offensively, uh, particularly with perimeter shooting. They don't have a lot of solid and consistent threats, and so I think that's a a big need for them. And I really think that they could be a a good match for Darius Garland maybe this offseason. If they want to make some sort of a play, I think they need a true point guard because right now their point guard position is like Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony, which no offense to either one of those guys. Um, it's okay. It's serviceable, but I think they need a true playmaking point guard. And I think Darius Garland would be a good fit and he would bring a little bit of that outside shooting that they need to their starting lineup um, because Paolo and Wagner aren't quite there from an outside shooting standpoint yet at this at this point in their careers. They might get there, but that's I think that's a lot of Orlando's struggle. Uh I really like what the Knicks are doing though. Um we gotta give props to Brunson because I think he is doing like a more sustainable version of uh the Isaiah Thomas Celtics. If you remember that team, I think what Brunson's doing is a lot more sustainable version of that and he's kind of the man in new york so i really like uh the knicks rising up as well i think they're going to be 
a tough outcome playoff time. I think that OG and Anobi trade really, really helped spring them a little bit. So, Jalen Brunson, fourth in the NBA right now in points and tenth in assists. Yeah, he's uh, he's up there. I mean, he's going to be be considered for probably second team. He might be in that second all NBA second team. I don't know if he's going to make that first team conversation, but he might. He could certainly be in that first team conversation. I don't think he's going to win MVP either. And I still feel like they have a, a Julius Randle deal to pull. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they're going to do that at the deadline, but I, again, potentially an off season move with Julius Randle. Oh, they're also going to get Mitchell Robinson back soon, relatively soon, it sounds like, and that's going to be a nice little boost for them as well. They've been playing well without him, but they kind of need that boost. They kind of need that depth on the inside after the trade that they made. So, I, yeah, I personally like the Knicks. I don't know if they have a championship ceiling. I don't think they do, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they found their way to the second round and maybe gave Boston a series or they somehow sneak up to that third seed and find their way to the conference finals. Wouldn't shock me at all. I, I, I'm pretty high on the Knicks right now. Well, another team that I would have in there, kind of that second tier, they have the player who's the breakout player of the year, the darling of the NBA this year, and that's the Indiana Pacers. They've cooled a little bit, but with all-star starter Tyrese Halliburton, when I'm kind of thinking about this second tier, Knicks, Pacers, and then old, boring, steady Miami Heat. We Are we seeing anything beyond opening round playoffs for any of them? Conference final contenders? There's always that chance with Miami, right? I don't want to ever rule Miami out because weren't they an eighth seed last year and they made the conference finals? Sounds like that's their par for the course for them. Yeah, and they're right back in that same position where they're going to be in the play-in, potentially maybe sneak out of it. Who knows? Probably sneak out of it because Philly might drop some games now with Embiid being out. You never know. Um, they could be a team that makes a trade, though. Um, I don't know what more trades they can make. They they did trade for Rozier. Maybe that's their loan move for this, this season. But, yeah, of that group, I think... I think Miami is the one that would probably give me the most pause to say that team could make a run. I'm I'm never going to count them out simply just because they have Jimmy Butler and it feels like he can just will him and Spolstra can just will them to wins in the playoffs. Well, and I think part of the difference looking at their stats so far this year is that Miami, as you would expect, plays defense, whereas the Pacers are saying to hell with defense, allowing 120 yeah. points per game, which is uh, amongst playoff teams, that is not good. Yeah, um, and we know that in the playoffs, things kind of slow down, and the Pacers like to play this up and down fast court style, and it's it's really fun, it's really exciting, it's great, but I don't know how it translates to the playoffs when teams really do force you to slow things down and play a little bit more of a half court game. I get the sense that the Pacers will excel at that. Too, and I, I'm not saying they're going to get swept out of the playoffs or anything, but right now they'd be 
facing Milwaukee in a first round matchup or if Cleveland drops down or the Knicks, right? They're probably going to play the Cavs, the Bucks, or the Knicks, or if something happens to Boston, the Celtics. And yeah, I don't know if I like, if I like the Pacers in that scenario. I'm not sure how their style will translate. And the team we've kind of danced around but haven't addressed directly. They're down to the five right now. I feel like they've been the one or the two throughout much of the season. The Philadelphia 76ers, you've professed your adulation for Joel Embiid multiple times. And I was thinking about this getting ready for this week's show a couple days ago. And I thought, you know, have we finally gotten over the Joel Embiid is fragile? I was, I thought when he started the first couple of years is he's a diva, he's fragile, he's soft, he's made of glass. And then he puts together a couple of good seasons, get, gets the Sixers into the you know, deep into the postseason, wins an MVP. And then as I'm having those thoughts, his meniscus goes, nope. And now we're back to Embiid being on the sideline. So no Embiid, no Sixers chance, or what's what's our Sixers outlook for the next four months? Yeah, no Embiid, no Sixers chance. And I think it goes deeper than that is I don't think you can win a title with Embiid as your top guy because of the injury history that's present there. And it seems like every year in the regular season or in the playoffs, some sort of injury pops up that sort of limits Embiid. And it's it's tough to see because without that limiting factor, Embiid would probably have been in the finals or maybe even won a final by now. But I don't, think I just don't really think that the Sixers have a chance. I do love Maxi and the way he's elevated his game. And I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's the alpha on a championship team. And so you can't, it's a tough situation because you can't really trade Embiid, right? Like he is everything that you did with the process. So you're, you're with Embiid until the end and you should be um but i think this year and going forward i don't think there's a lot of championship hope for philly unless they're able to somehow pull in some sort of alpha um i'm trying trying to think is there a bad team out there who would trade a slew of guys in exchange for Embiid? and who would that bad team be i mean right i don't think like the only team that could put together a package like that maybe is OKC and they're not doing it. And I, and Utah, and I don't think either one of those teams are, are making that move for Embiid at all. So I'm wondering like, would Houston trade all their, that core of young guys they have, or would, would Memphis give up John a few guys for. Something? Yeah. Or, or would new Orleans, shift off Zion. Yeah, but I don't know. But even if you're the team taking MB back, like you're still pretty much in the same boat as like Philly, where you don't think you can break through and actually win a championship with that guy as your top guy. So I think that's, that's kind of where I stand on the Sixers and Embiid. So do you have a set era that you consider the process for the Sixers? It's it's basically everything from the process era 
Yeah, it's kind of from when Sam Hinkie took over as general manager through now. Like, like Joel Embiid, his career is the process era. If if we want to get technical, that's kind of what I consider the process era. Because I I think we play this game about once per year, but it's the looking at the Sixers were bad, historically bad, stocked up on draft picks, and they were going to reform the NBA and come up with this whole new system with these top five picks year after year after year. And Joel Embiid's really the only one who hit for them in his last man standing. He obviously MVP, stud All-NBA player. Joel Okafor didn't work out. Ben Simmons, I am shocked whenever I see him, I forget that he's still in the league. Markel Fultz is maybe a backup guard on a good team. Uh, Mikhail Bridges didn't stay. They traded him right away. Tyrese Maxey was all right, but he was the 21st pick. It's just, oh, trust the process. Look at all these guys we're going to bring in. And then after Embiid, they went and, you know, four straight guys that were misses in this process era. And yeah, high draft picks. Yep. And that will cripple a franchise, but they, they found a way to rebound by, like you said, you know, they, they did have Harden for a little bit. They got Tobias Harris. Um, they had Jimmy Butler for a little bit. I mean, they were able to find a way to kind of put a competent potential championship contender around Embiid. Uh, it just never really panned out. And the main reason is, unfortunately, and beats injury history. Is there anything else on the East before we go out West? Let's head out West. So the West, and I'm going to need you to explain to me what is going on with the old man, broken down Clippers. We all, we, the collective NBA fandom ridiculed this team for getting all these old dudes who are ball hogs. who are going to play half the season. Somehow they are the one right now. Winners of four straight and nine and one in their last 10. The little engine that could teams that we love, the Thunder, the Wolves, the Nuggets, and the Kings make up that two through six. So I'm cheering for any one of those four. Well, what is going on that the Clippers are the number one team as we get towards the All-Star break? Well, they're healthy. Everybody's playing. You've got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, James Harden, and Westbrook all playing and healthy. And in the regular season, that's a great team. And I don't know if this is sustainable over the rest of the season. I think it's probably long shot odds that it is. But I think we might have been wrong about the Harden trade and his willingness to kind of blend in. Um, now, I think the expectations for the Clippers are in making a deal like that our championship. And those should be the expectations, but... It's Clippers, right? I can't wait to see how this all falls apart in the second half of the season <laughs> or the playoffs. Right? Kawhi flare Kawhi has injury flare ups. Paul George, James Harden, right? They all they all have injury flare ups. Like you said, they're old men with injury histories now. Um but at this point in time we just kinda have to give them their credit, give them their due. Um, they've been playing like one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the NBA over the past two or three weeks or so. And they really have something there when all their pieces are healthy. It's just a question of, can they do this in the playoffs? Potentially. I mean, we know that Kawhi is good enough when healthy to win a team in NBA championship. We've seen it. 
He's done it twice with San Antonio and Toronto. Uh, there's just that lingering question in the back of our minds. But currently, this current point in time, we have to just say what it is. They're the best team in the West. They're the best team in maybe the NBA at this current point in time. So they've played 49 games. Kawhi Leonard has started 45 of 49 games and played 34.4 minutes in each game. Who body snatchered Kawhi Leonard? This is not this is not the right. Kawhi, no. Right. Well, uh maybe he's trying to make that run of that MVP award. I don't know what's gotten into him, but um he's one of the best two-way players we've got. And so is Paul George. I mean, they have they have a great combination of, of pieces on that team. They're dangerous, man. They're they're extremely dangerous. So I you gotta watch the Clippers. It's actually fun to watch, surprisingly. It's it's still weird to me that Russ is genuinely coming off the bench. He's played in forty nine games but only started ten. He's he's and he's like accepts this. He's okay with this. That was the whole big thing is nobody could ever convince Russ to be a bench player. And he's, I'm still getting 11 points. He's still contributing, still putting in 23 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's good if, for... If there's anything I like about this team is that they do have so many bodies that can they can throw at you if they're healthy. That second unit, guys like Norman Powell, Mason Plumley, P.J. Tucker, they've got some good veteran players in there that they can throw at you. you Novika know, Zubak, we always forget about in the middle. So they have so many guys they can throw at you if they're all healthy by May and June. It's just I, I don't know that I trust their bodies to hold up after this many miles in the NBA. Right. That is exactly the only thing that we can question about them at this point because when they're healthy, it's, it seems like all the pieces fit together and they work. So congratulations to them figuring out how to make it all work on the fly. Um, but they have. So there's four teams in the in the NBA Western Conference who have really pulled away. The Clippers, and then we have a three-way tie right now with three teams that are 35 and 16 as we're recording. The Oklahoma City Thunder, Minnesota Timberwolves, and Denver Nuggets. Nuggets, yes, defending champs, we know. They're going to they're gonna be there. They're going to be fine as long as Jokic is healthy. I'm just happy to see the Thunder and the Wolves both sticking here and being genuine players. Anthony Edwards and Shai Gilgis-Alexander, I think both really proving that they are the ones they are taking over the mantle as the best point guards in the league, or at least that conversation. And looking at the numbers right now, I would agree. Jokic is probably up there with Embiid being injured, but I think SGA has a very strong case that he's the first half MVP. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's second in current MVP odds right now. And that I think that's accurate. That's correct. I mean, he's having a spectacular season and he's doing it mostly without really a consistent three-point shot um, averaging like what 30 points per game in the first half of the season and he's not really shooting that well from three 31.1 and I think he's shooting like shooting like three three-pointers a game at 35 percent so like it's not like a lot of other guys where they're shooting maybe four or five threes per game and they're shooting it at like a 40 percent clip and so and the defenses like know this about SGA and his game, and he's still able to do whatever he wants anyway. Um, watch the OKC Thunder if you haven't this year. 
Macon makes some sort of concerted effort to watch this team because they're fun. Um, like we talked about with Embiid, though, where maybe we have questions about whether or not he can be the number one guy on a championship team. I no longer have questions about SGA. I think the answer is undoubtedly yes. He can be the number one guy on a championship team. And I'm curious if OKC is maybe going to make a move here at the deadline and kind of go all in on this team because they might be more ready to compete for it right now than they initially thought. I think coming into this year, they thought maybe they could be a playoff team, but not like in the two seed, three seed conversation. So they kind of have to figure out if they're really going to go for it this year. And they should, they probably, they probably should go for it because I think it's going to be an issue of contracts at a certain point where they're going to have to pay Jalen Williams, Paige Holmgren, pay Giddy, right? Maybe they could pass on paying Giddy. You never know. Um, but case on Wallace, has been really good, but at a certain point, like we've seen with the Thunder before when they had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, they had to make some tough decisions about who to pay and who to let walk. Well, they've got it all together right now, and they've got it for relatively cheap. I wonder if now is kind of the time to, you know, the next two, three years, is maybe the time to strike because you don't know when you're going to get that chance again. Um, that's kind of ties into my question or concern about this team is, are they too young? SGA is really coming into his prime, but the rest of these guys are still really developing as young players. Chet the Jet seems to be a real deal. I still don't like him being considered in the rookie of the year conversation. Chet looks legit. This, the one Jalen Williams, so I'm not too familiar with, putting up a great season. And then Lou Dort and Josh Giddies, you've got your starting five, but I feel like this team really kind of falls off a cliff with trying to find your other guys, whereas the Cavs have eight, or not Cavs, Clippers have eight or nine bodies they can throw at you. Are the Thunder a team who could go, where's that veteran locker room glue guy, call up Portland and get a Malcolm Brogdon or a Jeremy Grant, somebody like that. I just, I worry about the Thunder when you only really have five guys eating up all your playing time. When the Nuggets come to town, how do you battle back against that? Or let's say Phoenix gets it right. How do you bow up against a veteran-laden team like those two? Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, that answer is probably Kaysan Wallace, if we're being honest. Um, watch him play. He's already a good three-point shooter from the corner. Um, he's a good defender. And I think kind of the emergence of Kaysan Wallace is why I'd be confident and okay with moving on from Josh Giddy if on the Thunder. Um, if there's a willing trade partner out there, and you can get maybe a like a rim-protecting big man. I think I've floated it on this podcast before, but I really think a Josh Giddey-Jared Allen trade makes a lot of, a lot of sense um, for OKC and, and maybe even for Cleveland, too. And I think that would be a good move for the Thunder. So I think going forward, I think think OKC has a chance. They're definitely going to make the playoffs barring some sort of epic collapse, which I don't really foresee. But um, yeah, I I really like this, this year's Thunder team. I think they're 
They're good. They're fun to watch. Make make a concerted effort to watch them if you haven't watched them yet. Uh, down at the five, your beloved beam team. Do we need to give them any attention this week? Um, sure, we can. I mean, uh, they got completely snubbed. Uh, both Sabonis and Fox should have been voted in for the All-Star game rather easily. I don't know why um, the Golden State Warriors, who are going to probably miss the playoffs, are getting three All-Stars and the Kings, who are fifth, and Sabonis is maybe, what, I believe fourth or fifth in MVP odds, but didn't make the All-Star game? What are What are we doing? here um yeah so that's the attention and love that we need to give to the beam team because fox and sabonis should both have been all-stars for the western conference this year and uh fox probably should have been there over curry for sure no doubt so um i don't yeah and maybe sabonis could have been there over like anthony davis or somebody we don't need the Lakers getting multiple all-stars when they're struggling too. So I don't know. Fix your all-star game NBA. It's all about name recognition, not talent. That is unfortunately true. So, but fix it, please. I beg you. And down here at the six, I have not heard as much smoke about Kevin Durant being unhappy with the sun. So am I not paying attention or have we, are we all happy in Kumbaya and Phoenix? I think we're happy to a point and maybe Katie has just realized that this is the team that he's got. I mean, Phoenix doesn't really have a lot more assets to move uh, unless they're moving Booker, which I don't recommend um, and don't really foresee. So yeah, I think, I think uh, Phoenix is just kind of content and going to roll with what they've got. And down kind of your middle tier teams that are going to be battling for the play. And I really don't see any of those top six falling out unless there's an injury or a huge trade like a Booker or a Durant. But you've got New Orleans here at seven, Dallas at eight, the Lakers at nine, Utah at 10, and then Golden State at 11. I don't see any of those bottom four teams crawling up here. And even, well, I think Utah falls out for Golden State, but the Lakers and Golden State are both old and injured. The Pelicans, you have the forever question mark of Zion. And then Dallas seems like they were hotter early in the year, kind of cooled off since Christmas. Do we do we feel any threat from 7 through 11? There's always a threat with Luka Doncic because we've seen him carry the Mavs to the conference finals seemingly by himself. Um, So I think that's the team that give me pause, but I don't, I don't really um, have a lot of faith in like the Lakers or the Warriors or the Pelicans or or the Jazz, who are kind of if they make it, I don't really expect them to make a lot of noise. Um, yeah, I think the Lakers. It's kind of just a scenario where maybe we're seeing a little bit of the age of LeBron start to show and like. LeBron knows that maybe this team doesn't have it um, and they don't really have the assets to trade for anybody that can make a difference. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting a lot of faith or a lot of stock in the Lakers. So Dallas, maybe 
of those teams in the current play-in are teams that I think could be someone to watch come playoff time. I was just reading up on some of the trades, and it's it's weird to me that NBA trade deadline is during the Super Bowl. I know you shouldn't base it on the other one, but if you want people talking and getting attention, maybe don't have your big buzzworthy week during Super Bowl week. Uh, but Monte Morris going to the Timberwolves, so we might as well just pencil them into the NBA Finals now. Oh, is that the thing? Yeah, the Pistons traded... Uh, Monte for a bunch of guys. There's a third team involved, but moral of the story is Monte Morris is going to the Timberwolves. Got it. Um, well, <laughs> no, the Timberwolves have Carl Anthony Towns and they're playing him as a serious player. So uh, they're probably not going to the finals. Sorry to Anthony Edwards. I think that's another thing for this offseason that has to be figured out is who can uh, the, the Wolves get to be a a good running mate with Anthony Edwards because I think Anthony Edwards is really, really, really special and can't, I can see him winning a championship, but not with the current roster, not with Towns as his number two guy. So I think he's got to, the Wolves have got to find some sort of other running mate for him this off season. And because we're required to, when we talk basketball, the Lakers, LeBron, do they make a move, whether or not they move him or they bring him reinforcements? No, I don't really think there's any good trade for them. I don't think people are going to take the D'Angelo Russell poo-poo platter and turn it into something that the Lakers want. I know there were some rumors about like DeJounte Murray. I don't really see it. I did see a rumor today that the Lakers think they can get Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. Um, That'd be cool. Don't really don't really know how they would do that, but who are they trading to get Donovan Mitchell? I mean, are the Cavs just going to accept, like, Austin Reeves? Draft, <laughs> draft picks for 2036 or however far we are, we are now? Yeah, I mean, draft picks in 2042. 2042 first rounders and Austin Reeves for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. But um, aren't you the biggest Austin Reeves advocate? Not the biggest, but I, I don't mind Austin Reeves. Man, I think, I think he's a good player. I think the Lakers just have to find a way to better make it work with, with the core that they have. I mean, you found. Where would the Lakers be without Austin Reeves, man? They found him from the scrap heap. He was an undrafted free agent. And they stumbled upon him. And thank goodness for them, they did. Because they would be even in a world of more hurt if they did not have someone like Austin Reeves. So, I think think the Lakers are kind of stuck with where they're at. Oh. To put a bow on NBA talk, the Western Conference favorite, Denver or the field? They're the four seed right now, and I feel like we're for, kind of quiet on Denver, but you just kind of know they're going to be there at the end. Yeah, I think it's Denver unless otherwise noted. I'm I'm not going to bet against Jokic. Um, if there is another team out there that could surprise, I think it's OKC maybe. Uh, the Clippers, man, I'm I'm not gonna 
bet on a James Harden team to make the NBA Finals. I'm just, I'm right. not going to do it. Right. So that's, they're playing really well, but I just, I've seen it too many times. So I think Denver's the favorite, even though they're in the four spot right now. Biding their time, then get hot. Peak at the right time, as they say. Exactly. They've got the championship pedigree now to where we don't have to question them anymore. We're going to take a couple minutes here to talk about the college side of the game as we build up towards March Madness. And just want to look at some of the main conferences here who are going to have contenders. Uh, Sorry, American East. Uh, But starting with the American Athletic, and this is last year's Cinderella FAU still hanging around in there. Second in the conference right now, South Florida. is Winners of eight straight somehow ahead of them. SMU, I know you're not the biggest fan of the net, but look at this. The American may be a one-bid league with FAU or two if SMU wins enough at the end. Probably a one-bid league. Maybe two, two or three if SMU and maybe Memphis can somehow sneak in. I think Memphis has a pretty good non-con record, so they could maybe sneak in. I don't think the American's going to be a huge factor in this year's NCAA tournament. FAU still going to be everybody's darling? Um, Probably not, no. Going to the Atlantic Coast Conference, the, dare I say, weirdly bad ACC. I think North Carolina's legit. I think Duke is legit. And then after that, there's a lot of questions. I don't know why people are hating on Virginia. I saw them on various bracketologists have them on like a first four out, but they're 18 and five undefeated at home. Great in conference with a strong net. So to me, they're at least in Wake Forest is up and down. Clemson just beat North Carolina. Wasn't it at North Carolina? So I think there's more teams in here that we're giving them credit for, but it's just looking at the numbers and the conversation. It feels like Duke and North Carolina are the only sure things coming out of the ACC. Yeah, and really, it, North Carolina is the best team in the ACC by far. The only one with true title aspirations from that conference, I would say. I can't figure out this North Carolina team, because two years ago they made the championship game, correct? Lost to Kansas, am I remembering that right? I think so, yep. And then last year they were beyond terrible, and now they're back to being a number one seed, potentially? Yeah, they got some good transfers in. They got the right mix of guys. Last year's team was kind of a weird mix of guys. They had some drama going on off the court that I think impeded them and their their season. So um, I think they're back. They brought Baycott back and R.J. Davis back, but not much else. And then some guys that were younger maybe on that, um, championship team that lost uh, have kind of grown up and grown into roles. And they brought in like Harrison Ingram from Stanford, um, who was a good player there. Paxson Wojcik, uh, Cormac Ryan, who was at Notre Dame. Like they've got like three transfers that have all made some sort of an impact on their roster too. So they've got that good blended roster. I, I think they're a legit. Um, title contender potentially. So, and 
Looking at the Atlantic 10 and conference, that usually gives us a team or two. Dayton seems to be a top 20 legitimate team. Anybody else in the A-10 strike your fancy? No, not really. Not really. Um, and I'm not even sure that I'm that high on the Dayton Flyers. I, I think we kind of we kind of do this with these some of these mid-major teams that get these really good records, and then um, maybe it's a little bit of who have they played. Um, I like a good mid-major story, but I don't think um, Dayton is really a true contender if we just want to attack contenders. And the Big East, I won't say the best, but one of the most intriguing conferences. You do have the best team in the country. I will contend UConn, the defending champions, number one to me, 21-2 and two right now, 13-0 and 0 at home. Marquette and Creighton both seem like they're probably safely in. And then from there, defend, depending on how you cut it, what metrics you like, I see a lot of different people with a lot of different philosophies on Seton Hall, Xavier, Butler, St. John's, Providence, and Villanova. Georgetown and DePaul are for sure out, but those you know, number four through four, five, six, seven, eight, four through nine feels wide open. Totally wide open after the big three that you mentioned. It's really bubblicious after those three. Um, I don't know how teams like Villanova and Xavier are still in the conversation somehow, but they are. Uh, I think... Seton Hall and Butler will probably make it. Um, I think those are decent teams. And like you said, UConn might be the best team currently. Um, I think the best team right now is Purdue. I know I'm not going to bet on Purdue. We've talked about this before. They burned me too many times. But I think right now the best team in the nation is Purdue by far. Um but UConn's not too far behind, I, I guess. But so Big East is, yeah, it's really UConn at top, and then I think Creighton is the other team that has the legitimate chance at a national championship. I think that's a team that I could see getting hot at the right time and breaking through and winning it all. That was going to be my question. I think these are two teams you've been pretty supportive of over the last year and a half is both Marquette and Creighton, if you had to give one a slight nose. Yeah, I think Creighton just has the better maybe all-around balance because you've got Kalkbrenner on the inside. You've got Alexander kind of running the show. Shireman is kind of a big X factor. Um, there's other pieces as well, but I think Creighton is, is a team that could get hot at the right time and break through and win it all. Um, kind of like what UConn did, right? Um, UConn was a was a four seed last year that broke through and kind of got hot at the right time. And now looking back, it seems like maybe they were a little bit underseeded going into last year's tournament because they had like a tough stretch of a few losses. And Creighton had a tough stretch too this year, and they'll probably be right around that four line, three line. Um, probably aren't going to work their way up to the two line unless they really kick it into high gear over the next 10 games or so. But I think they're probably going to end up on that four line, maybe the three line, um, and could be a team from that seed range to really make a, a deep run. We'll see how many high seeds we get here for the Big Ten. Feels like three teams are shoe-ins to be on those top 
four lines. Purdue, Illinois, and Wisconsin, I think, has worked its way into the conversation. And then the Big Ten is topsy-turvy slash mediocre slash good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska. Am I supposed to believe these? Michigan State has an okay record but a great net. And then the good teams are bad, and the Big Ten is a big question mark. Yeah, it is really a big question mark beyond those those three um those three teams. And they're and all I could burn me. I've been destroyed by Purdue and Illinois in my brackets for several years in a row now, and I just Wisconsin's boring. I don't like the Big Ten this year. <laughs> you and me both, man. You and me both. I'm not really a huge fan of Big Ten basketball this year. Um Give Purdue their credit for, you know, after losing to 16C, coming back, having a strong season where they'll be in the conversation for the number one overall seed. They're going to win the Big Ten. We have to talk about them as a potential championship contender, even given all the the flubs and stuff of the Matt Painter era that we've experienced. Um, But they're going to be right there. And I think Illinois Illinois and Wisconsin are really good, too. The thing that I really like about Wisconsin is they have A.J. Storr. They have, like, a go-to guy that they can say, go get us a bucket, and he can do it. They haven't really had that at Wisconsin in a long, long time. Um, So that's the thing that I really like about Wisconsin. Um, They are boring, for sure, but they – they find ways to win. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If anybody from the Big Ten is going to break through and win it all, it's going to be Purdue, but I, I don't have a lot of confidence. Although I do think they could be the, the number one overall seed when the brackets are set. So two very different histories and different trajectories, but do we have Nebraska or Michigan State in the tournament? Um, I... I do think Nebraska will make it in. They have uh, big wins against Purdue and Wisconsin at home. Um, They have to avoid bad losses, but I think they will probably find a way. Michigan State, that's the – how much stock do you put into the net is basically what Michigan State comes down to because, like you said, they have a really good net ranking. Um, their overall record is okay. Their conference record is okay. Um, but yeah, how much stock do you put in the net? net? I think Michigan State could slide in. I think Michigan State and Northwestern are probably going to be on the edge of their seats on Selection Sunday. That they're just probably going to be sitting there on the edge of their seats. Not a familiar (laughs) spot for Northwestern. Oh, yeah, definitely a familiar spot for them. <laughs> All right. And from the lackluster conference to, dare I say, the best in college basketball this year, another team that I think will be in the hunt for the one seed in Houston and a, a logjam of very good teams. I think will be competing for kind of those two through six seeds. Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas, TCU, Texas Tech, BYU, Oklahoma, maybe not so high on K-State, Cincinnati, Texas. I don't think it's crazy to think there's 10 bids coming out of the Big 12. I just don't know how to rank them after. Please just let Houston beat Kansas. I'll be happy with that. 
Yeah, there's there's going to be nine teams from the Big 12 here, I think, that make it in. Um, Houston, Iowa State, Locke, um, BYU, Kansas, Baylor, Locke, Texas Tech, TCU, probably going to make it. Oklahoma going to make it. Cincinnati, probably. Uh, the teams that aren't going to make it, West Virginia, for sure. Oklahoma State. And I think Texas, kind of on the bubble before last night. They lost to Iowa State last night. I think Texas would be on the outside looking in right now. I think Texas, UCF, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia would all be on the outside. Wouldn't surprise me if Texas, Texas maybe slid in. That's the one that I'm looking at. I think everybody from Oklahoma and above, so those top four, those top seven, I think, are set. BYU, I'll put those top eight are in. It's that Cincinnati versus Texas. Are they both in, or does one get in? What what do they look like head-to-head? That would have my interest come Selection Sunday. Yeah. Um, Houston's a real threat to win it all, Uh, as is, I think... um, let me look at Ken Palm here, but I, I believe that Iowa State actually hits the metrics of... You have to play offense to do that. Yep. They have to... I believe the metric is top 37 in defense and top 57 in offense, adjusted offense, and Iowa State is 49th in offense, so they, they fit the metric. And they're fourth in defense, so they definitely fit it there. Um, I'm not going to go on record and say that Iowa State's going to win at all, but uh, don't be shocked if they like become like a trendy pick for people when the brackets I, get released. Iowa State has more of a Purdue type relationship with the bracket. Yeah, we've seen the Hampton, the UAB, the um, first round game against Ohio State, the Yep. First round game against Pitt. I'm sorry. I'm bringing up bad <laughs> memories. I don't mean to. I, I really promise I'm not trying to drive a knife because I always got the Northwestern State, the Richmond, you know, all of, all of those flub ups too. So I know it very well. So I, I know the relationship that Iowa State has, but I do think that Iowa State's going to be a trendy pick for people. And I, I can understand it because I do think this is TJ Otzelberger's best offensive team that he's had in his time, his short time at Iowa State. What is this, year three? Sounds right. Yeah, year three, and I think this is his best offensive team that he's had um, so far. And the surprising part is the five-star freshman that we thought would contribute right away doesn't play at all. Um, Don't know what's going on there, but Iowa State's a really great team. Without that, I mean, they're 17 and five. They have a home win over Houston. Yeah, like you said, I understand the pause there, but I, I'm not afraid to say it. I think I think Iowa State's a team that could could make a deep run. I'm not saying they will, but so much of it is dependent upon like matchups. But I think the Big 12 will have a team in contention, and I don't know. Wouldn't rule Iowa State out of the, out of that equation. Why can't we be like you know, we, Iowa and Iowa State, 
why can't we be like Syracuse or Oregon or Michigan State who's has a 500 record, gets an 11 seed, and makes the Elite Eight? Why don't we get to have those years? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It does seem like there are certain teams that can just like barely sneak in and then they always make a deep run. Um, I think, you know, in Iowa's case particularly, I think it comes down to guard play because like guard play dictates so much of um, the deep run that you can make in March Madness specifically in, Frankly, uh, I mean, Iowa State's had some really great guard play, so I, I don't know what the reason is there. Um, I think they just maybe had some unfortunate things happen or they just, like, laid an egg when they weren't supposed to, right, because they've had great guard play. Uh, but in Iowa's case, I, I don't really think they've had the best guard play. But if I think about those Oregon teams and those Michigan teams, like, there's usually a point guard behind those those runs that we can point to and say that's the reason for it. So that's a, that's kind of where, where I'm at. So any other, Oh yeah. We got to talk about another big conference yet. Don't we? A couple, a couple of quick run through here. Conferences, Missouri Valley, Indiana state versus Drake. Does the loser still make the tournament? Indiana state could, I don't think Drake has the resume too, unfortunately. So I think Drake has to win the Missouri Valley tournament. Uh, they can't take any more losses in conference play. They've already played Indiana State twice, split with them. Um, so that's good, but they have like a bad loss to Belmont and then another lo- another conference loss as well. I can't remember to who they have the conference loss to. Um, so... Basically, Drake has to win the tournament to make it in um, the Missouri Valley tournament. And Indiana State could probably make it in because they have a pretty good net rating. And they should. They're uh, they're an interesting team, a fun team. And uh, remember the name Robbie Avila when you're filling out your brackets and you see Indiana State. Robbie Avila, goggles, seven-foot white dude. Has tattoos that he looked that looks like he did him himself in in his home, you know. <laughs> but uh, everybody's gonna fall in love with him. Absolutely fall in love with him once March Madness starts. So, well, we'll save the SEC here for the end to get to a couple quicker conferences. The Mountain West having a great year, and especially with conferences like the Big Ten and the ACC being down, may open up some bids here. New Mexico State or. Utah State, New Mexico, San Diego State, Boise, Colorado State, Nevada. Dare I say a six-bid year for the Mountain West? Um, Probably not six. I think New Mexico, San Diego State, Colorado State, and Utah State are four probable locks. I think Nevada has a lot of work to do, and Boise State probably has some work to do. Right now, I probably have those two out. I think those top four are in, and New Mexico is really a team that I love. I think that's going to be kind of a team that people are going to look to and point to come Selection Sunday once the brackets are out. They're going to. I think New Mexico is probably going to be a trendy pick, and for good reason. They're they're fun to watch. And. Also out west, but not even as good as the Mountain West right now. The Pac-12, 
will be happy to get four bids in. Arizona, pretty much guaranteed at this point. And then Wazoo, Oregon, Utah, and Colorado. Maybe there's two or three more bids out of that group. Yeah, I really thought this conference would be a lot better than what it is. I thought USC would be way better than what they are. Like, USC collapsing. Yeah, USC collapsing is just really, really done this conference in, and UCLA not being up to their standard either um, just collapses this conference, basically. So, yeah, Arizona, Colorado is maybe an interesting case. Utah, Washington State, Oregon. Like you said, like we talked about it, Oregon will barely sneak in, and then they'll be in the Elite Eight. I, I don't know how it'll happen, but... A bunch of guys you've never uh, heard of who will never make the NBA, and they'll just team basketball, yeah. Dana Altman. Yeah. Um, I I don't have any explanation for it either, but Oregon will do it. So It's, just, it's weird to be in a world where Washington State, Utah, and Colorado have viable basketball teams. Meanwhile, USC and UCLA and Washington are all not good. Yeah, that is a definitely a reversal of roles because those are the traditional basketball powers that you just listed off. Well, Arizona is too. I think the conversation is, is Arizona a legitimate title contender or, or not? Do we think Arizona can win it all? Um. Do we think that or do we want to admit it because we said Arizona was going to be crappy at the beginning of the year? Because those are two different questions. Because um, one of us very much do we doubt, think. as much as I hate to admit it, they probably are. I'm still riding with a UConn or a Houston. If yeah, I had to pick today or a couple of SEC teams we'll get to. But as much as I'll go kicking and screaming, I probably have to admit Arizona's in that conversation yeah, I think they probably are too. Um, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to win it. I think we can actually get to my actual title winner in when we talk about the SEC. I don't think Arizona's going to win at all, but we can talk about my title winner when we talk about the SEC. Uh, one more quick thing for the SEC, West Coast Conference. St. Mary's is holding court right now. Uh, Gonzaga, get it together, please. 16 and 6, a 28 net, and people are still talking about them as a bubble team. So it feels like Gonzaga has to push late, have St. Mary's falter, or win the tournament. Even then, I think St. Mary's and Gonzaga both deserve to be in. I think St. Mary's is going to make the tournament. They're going to win the West Coast Conference. Uh, and I think Gonzaga is going to miss out. I, I really do. I think Gonzaga is going to find a way to miss out on the NCAA tournament this year. Not a good year for Mark Few and the bunch. Hmm. Well, we saved the big one here for the end, along with the Big 12. I would say the Big 12 and the SEC have been the two carrying the water for much of college basketball this year. You, again, in the conference, that's very all over the board. In the actual standings, Alabama's number one right now, but South Carolina's look surprisingly good. Auburn's a team that I really like. Tennessee has been in the top 10 for much of the year. Uh, I'll just let you kind of go with this one, but yeah, so many different ways we go with the SEC. Yeah. Um, if I think the Big 12 is the best basketball conference, I think the SEC is number two. Um, like you said, I think there's three potential teams that you can look at as 
potential title contenders in the SEC, Bama, Tennessee, Auburn. I think those teams have kind of the metrics that you're looking for. Um, although I would probably question maybe the, the defense of an Alabama. Um, I think there's some question marks there. I think Auburn and Tennessee are more closely match the profile of what you're looking for in a national title contender. Um, we got to give some mention to like South Carolina. They have really, they're um, in the AP top 25, although their net has them at 41st. Um, that kind of is an indicator. They built up a lot of, a lot of wins against quad four, right? Nine, nine quad four wins. Three quad one wins, though, they're going to make it, barring something unforeseen. Um, but then you have teams like uh, Ole Miss, who are maybe on the bubble, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. Um, you could be looking at, like with the ACC and the Big Ten being down, you could be looking at like eight or nine SEC teams making the NCAA tournament here, and I'd totally be fine with it. Uh, but my national title contender here is the Auburn Tigers. I, I think Auburn is going to win the national championship this season. I just like the pace that they're able to play with. They can play any style. They're extremely deep. They can go nine or ten deep confidently. They can get really hot from three. Uh, they have good guard play. They have good post play. They've got some NBA guys. And then I, I really think they have the coach to get it done. This is probably Bruce Pearl's time. So I, I there's just something about the Auburn Tigers that I like. That I think they're probably going to be the ones to get it done and cut down the nets this March. Yeah, you just stole my thunder on all that. Auburn was my team that I thought was maybe kind of a sneaky nobody talking about. I don't have the knowledge to articulate it the way you did, but I like Bruce Pearl. He's been around a long time and really turned around this Auburn program. There's just something about this Auburn team. When I look at the landscape, I'm more and more, I like this Auburn Tiger team. Alabama, yeah, you know what you're going to get. They've kind of become a standard team under Nate Oates. You they're going to be in the conversation, kind of like Coach Cal with Kentucky. They're just going to be there. I don't see them as contenders. Lamont Paris may be up for a Coach of the Year type recognition in only a second year at South Carolina, went 11 and 21 last year after coming over from Chattanooga and made the Mox uh, tournament team. Building things up at South Carolina. Rick Barnes, I can never trust Tennessee and Rick Barnes. I love him as a coach, they do great. Just can never trust him come tournament time. Ole Miss, I get if people don't like Ole Miss because Chris Beard is the coach there. They're a weird team, 18-5, and five, but a horrible Mets. And I think I think there's going to be a lot of SEC teams into the tournament. I just don't know what to make of a Florida, an Ole Miss, a Texas A&M, or further down the board, maybe a Mississippi State. We're looking at those four teams getting in. So I could see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think it'll be eight, but I could see nine SEC teams making it. I'll I'll stick with eight. I think eight out of the SEC will be my pick. Yeah, I think it'll be eight too. I think Ole Miss is probably going to be the odd man out. I really hope, I really hope A and M makes it in. If you haven't had a chance to watch them, I do love the Wade Taylor, Tyrese Radford show. Um, those are like 
that's a team that I could see that barely squeaks in that makes a little bit of a surprise run uh, just based off their guard play. There's really. always that, uh, there's always a team that goes from the play into the Sweet 16. For me, that's Texas A&M this year. They're going to get that 11 or 12 play-in game and tear through some people. Yeah, Yeah, that is exactly who what, what I was thinking, too. That's a team that can make a, a run to the Sweet 16 from a play-in spot. So, man, I I love it. It's an exciting time. We're in February, so we are reaching the really important parts of the college basketball season. So if you haven't been watching yet, um, I think think now is the time to watch some college basketball, uh, both men's and women's. So we can we can talk about the women's side of things because I, I think do, there's plenty to talk about there too. I do have one SEC related question before we go to the women's. Um, I know that they've become transfer portal U in college basketball, but usually Eric Musselman has made it work. What is going on with the Arkansas Razorbacks? They are eleven and eleven and not looking good doing it. I think the, well, uh, Devo Davis, I believe his name is, got kicked off the team. Uh, and there's some other behind the scenes stuff going on around that. And I, I just don't think the pieces fit very well. I think the must bus is having a, having a tough time. Maybe the wheels are, are popping off or at least they're deflated. Um, so. I don't know what's going on specifically, and I thought Arkansas would be much better preseason. Felt like they had a lot of good pieces. They had one of the best transfer portal classes of anybody in the country, and it just has not meshed at all. So we'll see. Um, but I think Alabama has kind of turned out to be what we thought Arkansas was going to be, essentially. Yeah. I think Alabama's kind of taken that mantle, or maybe Auburn's kind of taken the mantle of what we thought Arkansas could rise to. Hmm. So, um, it's weird to I see don't them know. after being so consistent for several years under Musselman. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we can go over here and talk about the women's side of the college game and the number one ranked, only undefeated team, South Carolina Gamecocks. Yeah, and then we can talk about the greatest women's basketball player of all time, Caitlin Clark. Cheryl Miller, Kelsey Plum, Kayla Moore, Brianna Stewart, Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner. Not on Caitlin Clark's level. Um, and in like two or three games, I believe Caitlin Clark is going to break the scoring record. So Kelsey Plum will be second soon. Um. South Carolina, they're a very impressive team. They're undefeated. I think they're probably going to be considered the favorites. Um, but I would, I think we'll be right in that conversation as well as maybe like your Yukons, obligatory LSU reference, I guess, but I don't really have a lot of, a lot of faith in LSU. I think they've kind of fallen off a cliff for whatever reason, but, um, it's a it's a lot of fun to watch women's basketball and follow women's basketball this year. I I think in some ways it's almost more exciting than the men's. I think what was it? Fox had their largest television audience for a women's basketball game ever in the Iowa Maryland game this past Saturday night. And I mean Maryland isn't even that good 
they're just drawing tons of crowds for their games and it's it's an interesting uh I don't know. I just I've had a lot of a lot of fun following women's basketball this year. Please note it's a lot more fun when the best player on the planet is on your team. It's like my family in Denver who got way into basketball once Jokic got good. True. It is a lot more fun. You're right. Um savor uh savor this Caitlin Clark season. I'll say that much. Is there you're you're much more tied in. Is there any chance she comes back? She still has a COVID year. She wants it. I like, think well, there's... I, don't, I don't know what she has to prove I'm... or gain by coming back. But... Yeah, I don't think anybody really knows at this point. If anybody says that they knows that they know uh, what she's going to do with her decision around her COVID year, uh, they're lying to you. Um, I will tell you, though, that the Indiana... Indiana Fever have the number one pick, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin Clark is dating Connor McCaffrey. Connor McCaffrey is an assistant for the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. It's a very serious relationship. It's not just a fun little thing. So, wait, but... to think that that will play a factor in her decision, uh, I think that's going to play a heavy factor in her decision. So, do will will you follow and become a fan of the Indiana Fever if she's drafted to them? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll have no choice but to follow the Indiana Fever and follow them. But you know what? You know what comes with that being a Fever fan. Yeah, you you have to become an Aaliyah Boston fan. Oh, that's okay. I can cheer for Aaliyah Boston. I don't have any problem cheering for Aaliyah Boston. Okay. She's she's fine. She's just fine. Actually, I heard her doing uh, commentary. I believe she was like uh, pre-game, post-game show for uh, Peacock this year. Um, she's great. Aaliyah Boston's actually great at that. So I think that'd be fun to have both Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark on the same team and terrorizing uh, the WNBA. Somebody to challenge the Aces finally? Uh, yeah. Although the WNBA, man, they really, I think we've talked about this several times. They really messed this up because I think they're talking about expanding and they absolutely should expand, but they should expand to Des Moines, Iowa Hmm. and force feed Caitlin Clark to the Des Moines expansion team (laughs) and then let them sell out however many home games, but I, I think you're going to see a huge rise in ticket sales in the WNBA and all of that. Uh, we've seen it in women's college basketball, but I think you're going to see it at the next level too. So um, again, I think it's, I think it's kind of 50, 50, but I'm starting to feel like this might be Caleb Clark's last season. Yeah. I, I know there's big NIL money in college now. It just seems like you can probably still make that at her status in NBA. Yeah. I mean, she makes multi-millions in her endorsement deals now. She's got the State Farm deal. She's got other deals that I I can't even remember. And I'm sure there's going to be more sponsorships, and she's going to make probably tens of millions in in just sponsorships. And so it's not like – 
she's going to be hurting for money all of a sudden when she graduates from Iowa. So I don't, I don't think there's really a whole lot of a reason to come back unless, you know, she really wants to take another crack at winning the championship and feels like coming back to Iowa is a great way to do that. Well, looking at some of the other contenders here, the teams I like, K-State, I've been a fan of the last couple of years. I think they're a fun outside chance. UConn's going to be there along with Paige Becker's being healthy. You know, UConn and LSU are going to be in the conversation. Virginia Tech is the team I jumped on the bandwagon for last year. Still have Georgia Moore and Liz Kitley. So Virginia Virginia Tech is going to be my totally random, somebody different. Does it probably come down to UConn, South Carolina, or Iowa? Yes. But for the sake of someone different, I'll take Virginia Tech again. Hey, as long as it doesn't come down to LSU, I'm I'm pretty much okay with it. As long as it doesn't come down to LSU. And some of the other big names of players that we haven't talked about who, I mean, Caitlin Clark is, it's, she's every postseason award is hers to lose already. Uh, Juju Watkins at USC, I think has become a breakout star. Hannah Hidalgo has really picked up some steam at Notre Dame this year. Alyssa Pilly, I always screw up her name, uh, at Utah, number eight in scoring. She got a lot of attention last year. Liz Kitley just mentioned uh, Ioka Lee at K-State. So a lot of good players out there. And then Cameron Brink getting a lot of attention at Stanford as well. Uh, yeah. And we cannot let us, lest we forget Angel Reese. Yeah. I mean, Cameron Brink deserves her flowers. Uh, Angel Reese is okay. But I, I think, uh, I don't know. I feel like Caitlin Clark is going to win every postseason award. And if she doesn't, then she probably probably be Paige Beckers or Cameron Brink. It's a girl at BYU averaging 15 and 15. It's not a bad stat line. It's pretty good. Um, I think Colorado could maybe be a surprising team as well. Yeah, they're one that came out of nowhere. I didn't know I was supposed to know about Colorado women's basketball. Yeah, Colorado women's basketball was uh, is pretty decent. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun-filled tournament. I'm hoping... Beyond all hope that, you know, that South Carolina and Iowa are on opposite sides and that can end up being the championship game. Um, but would love to see Iowa make that deep of a run. I think they do have a little bit of an issue inside Iowa does, but when you've got a player as great as Caitlin Clark, he, it may not matter, right? Um, she might be enough on her own to just will them to that level. So I don't know. It'll be. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to see. I'm really just looking forward to a couple games from now when Caitlin Clark breaks the scoring record. So that'll be a, a great moment in history to witness. How far into the bracket do you want to see Kim Mulkey? Um, just give us Kim Mulkey and her goon squad anytime, anywhere. Let's <laughs> do it. Well, we will be all about basketball here for the next couple weeks. We'll sprinkle in uh, plenty of other sports. Big UFC card coming up in the middle of February. We've got the Super Bowl to recap, some baseball. There's hockey going on we keep forgetting to get to. But we'll have plenty of that with basketball here throughout February and March. Uh, Anything else on this week's show before we duck out and get ready for Super Bowl Sunday? Oh, you mean uh, college basketball Sunday? Because I think uh, Caitlin Clark is playing a game that day, so. College basketball Sunday is what I'm dubbing it. <laughs> with with a football game in the background. 
Yeah, football games in the background of the college basketball season. Nice. And, yeah. All right. All right. I've said my piece, but <laughs> anyways, enjoy your sports this weekend. If you're rooting for one of the two teams in that game, best of luck to you. But I will, I don't know. I'll, I might watch the halftime show. That's kind of where I'm at with this year's Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll slog our way through it and hopefully something fun happens and makes it worth our while. Yeah, maybe. All right. That's all I've got for this week. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will see you next week back here on the Sports Gospel. Keep your stick on the ice.